And now it's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to everyone out there listening to the show today. We really appreciate it on this chilly South Florida Sunday morning. I don't know if it'll be the last one this spring before, while it's still cold. I, can't, I, I think, Gary, it was 47 degrees at my house this morning. It was chilly. Over on the coast yeah. about 7 o'clock or so. Uh, that was lower than I expected. And I woke up to no electricity. So <laughs> that was getting dressed. I have no idea how I look. Because I got dressed and took a shower and got dressed in the dark and shaved in the dark. So there's no telling. They're going to think I'm more senile than I really am even. But anyway, we're glad you're with us today. Thanks for listening to the show. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. And in just a moment, I'm going to give you the numbers to how to reach us, the ways to contact the show. So you can participate today if that's your inclination. And we'd really appreciate it if that was your inclination to do that. We love having calls and comments and interaction. It helps make the show go smoother and helps make it more interesting to other people. I've said this before, but I, I know it's true that a, a lot of people think, well, no one wants to know what I'm thinking about this or no one has this question or it's something odd. And usually that's completely wrong. Everybody else has the same question uh, and or have thought about it before. Or even if they haven't, they think, wow, that's interesting. And so we really appreciate it when you give us a call. This show is about being just a Christian here in the 21st century, not part of some man-made denomination or following human traditions, even secular traditions, but following uh, the Bible as our guide in all things in life. And, and so we, we'll defend that proposition. We are not ashamed of the presupposition that the Bible is the inspired word of God and that it is the guide for us both in religion and in our private lives if you can distinguish between those two things. And so we're not ashamed of that proposition. We'll defend that, and we'd be glad to talk with you about that. And I want to encourage those of you who are not religious or not churchgoers or anything like that, I'd like to ask you to participate in the show also. Call in. We're not going to shame you or embarrass you in any way, certainly not intentionally, And because I'd like to hear from your, your viewpoint uh, why you think the things that you do. I think that'd be interesting to a lot of people. And the truth is, if you don't share the presuppositions of this show, that is, that the Bible is the inspired word of God and that Jesus Christ is the Lord, then you're in the majority. You're not in a minority. You may feel like you're in a minority, but you're not in the minority. You're in the majority. And we might even come to that a little bit later in the show. So you don't have to have anything to fear about that. We'd love to have you give us a call. You can reach We Are Just Christians live this morning at 772-260-6120. 772-260-6... What am I doing? Yeah, Gary, you didn't that's even your, correct me yet. Time. You're, that's that's your my. Number. That's the cell. That's the text number. Well, it just clicked. For yeah, it just a clicked that's for me wrong. too. At the same time, I looked up. I'm, wait, wait. I'm giving my phone phone number. Well, my cell number. And we'll don't, get back to that. Don't call in a him moment. on his cell number. <laughs> yeah, well, you can text me on that number. I'd be, gl be glad to hear that. But let me give you the number for the show. Let's start over again. 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590. And even Ray there at the station, the producer is trying to text me and tell me you're giving out the wrong number. 772-340-1590 is the number to reach us. Ray there at the station will take your call, put you on the air, and we'll be able to have a conversation with us. And we'll try to work through whatever one or two second delay they have. So be patient with us, and we'll be patient with you about that. But we'd love to have you call in, 772-340-1590. Now, if you want to text the show, and some people prefer texting, you can text the show during the time you're on the air. We'll try to respond to that. Or any time. Or any time during the week you can text the show. Here are two numbers. One's mine. One's Gary Jones. 772-340. Now I'm doing the wrong thing again. What I tell you? Hey, what what I tell you before? What, the, the, the two numbers are 772-260-6120. That's Mike's number. And the other number is 772-260-6220. That's my number. That's now right. we're done. Mike. Now we're done. Yeah. See, Gary, just before we went on the air, I told you something isn't right. And what it was is my brain. So anyway, I just didn't realize it at the time. Uh, anyway, those that's how you reach us. We'd be glad to hear from you. You can also email us 
if you uh, want to do email, maybe you can do something a little longer. We will respond to your email, uh, which is justchristians at att.net. Justchristians at att.net. All right, we have a tech just came in, Gary, in fact. Okay. We appreciate that if I can get to it here. This is from John. He says, do you believe Jesus has always existed or was created later or became divine after his resurrection? Good question. A lot, a lot to pack I, into that. I believe he was always created. I, I, he he was always, always has always been. existed. Yes. All right. Well, I agree with that in, in general because I think that's how most people would understand the question. I don't know if John meant to do this or not, but he put a little couple of tricks in there for us. One of them is, did Jesus always exist? Well, huh. Well, it depends. I'm, I'm going to say Jesus probably you, did not always how exist. How do you define Jesus? Was the man named the man named Jesus, born of Mary, uh, in Bethlehem, was it did not always exist. He was born in Bethlehem as a man, human being. But he existed as the Word, and I believe as the Son of God, well, or at least as the Word from all eternity. And so I agree, he is not a created being. Well, even but he is even, not. Go ahead. He he viewed himself in the same way in John eight. If we look at John eight, what did he tell the Jews? Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And so right. he is an eternal being. Right. Now, is this man Jesus eternal? Well, no, he he became well, a he, uh, it he was says, the man. It was the man Jesus who spoke those words. That well, is, yes. And, and in the, quoting the Psalms in Hebrews 10, he says, a body thou hast prepared me. So the body, that's the man Jesus with a human body. But his spirit existed before that because a body was prepared for that eternal spirit. Now, that's how. I view that, well, and I think he's always now going to be uh, not just a man, but a man, a human being, because he has body and spirit resurrected in heaven. Well, it goes back to us human beings. We are body, soul, and spirit. The question is, God is spirit and soul, in my view, but basically life. Yes. Okay. no body. So if you want to say the body didn't always exist, that's fine, but did... The essence, and when you look well, at I mean, he's got a name, Jesus, yeah, and right. his name was Jesus after his birth, because the angel said his name is Jesus. So, uh, so the body exists, and the body exists with a name, and you can look at that. But basically, did the essence of his being exist before that? And the answer is yes. Yes. When you start looking at the definition of the spirit, and well, let me let me let me just go back and take a second look at that. Uh, when you look at the definition of uh, soul and spirit uh, as it as it's given in binds, it's basically it's the intellect. It's it's what you are. It's it's your rationale. It's it's the characteristic of you, uh, and it's used that way in the scripture. That's both both soul and spirit reflect that. Well, the, and there is. There's not a lot of difference between right, the two. soul and spirit. One, I think, in the way it's often used, and it can be both spiritual or physical. The word, the word we translate soul, it's often just simply meant life, a living thing or life. Well, it's used, so it's the animating spirit that gives life. Both, both these terms, these terms are used for both. It's the rational being. That term is used for both. Yeah, suke is the word, yeah, yeah. so it is the rational being, but the it means that's what, that which is alive. Now, where a spirit is something which is uh, is breath, so sometimes that me is referred to as the rational, the being. rational being. But yeah, they're, they're used in the Bible somewhat interchangeably. Now, the question is, of course, now we're way off track. Let's don't get too far off track. The question is, did Jesus have a human spirit, a divine spirit, or the Holy Spirit? Or what kind of spirit did he have? And was he, he was obviously alive and his body was human. So he's a different kind of being than just God himself, who is spirit. Because he's a, he's, he now becomes a human being, which, which is, according to 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, body, soul, and spirit. Okay? Body, soul, and spirit. The three make human. And I think the three make God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That's my own personal opinion. But the truth is, I, I, the, the, 
question to me comes in oddly because it says Jesus. I think he's never called Jesus until after his birth on the earth, and he's a different kind of being <coughs> than he was before because now he has a body and he's taken on human nature. He took on flesh and blood and became a partaker in flesh and blood, which I think means more than just the physical as being a human being, according to Hebrews. So he's, But before that time, he's called the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God, according to John. Nothing that was made was that and I don't believe he was I don't believe he was a created being because of John 1 that nothing that was made was made without him so if he he didn't create himself yeah let's let's read that okay. verse in its entirety it says okay. that's verse 3 of John 1 it says all things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made him being in that case the word right it doesn't say Jesus in John 1 it says the word was with God and the word was God, and nothing that was made was made without him. So he can't have made himself in that. By logical exclusion, he can't have made himself in John 1. So I don't believe Jesus, as we know him as the Son of God, was a created being. And I certainly don't think this, that, uh, that the word was a created being. Now, did God create a body for him? Yes, a body thou hast prepared me, it says. And so he was given a human body. But that wasn't a magical creation um, and so forth. So the question now then that comes and, in, I should have said the sun. Well, yeah, that could be. And that's why I'm kind of smile. I was kind of saying I don't know that that's what the intention was to focus in, on this in man. In the Jesus. overall of who Jesus was and what he means to us, he is the son of God. He is a un- not created being. In John 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Basically, the word became flesh, or that body was that. that. That's another aspect of what you were talking about, he, that body that was prepared for him. Right. And, and that was, well, strangely enough, I would say it's not strangely enough. It seems to me it was prepared in the same, in the same fashion as uh, uh, our bodies are prepared by the natural means that God made, which are, of course, from God, not just from some kind of power outside of God of procreation and Christ and Christ was given a body and he was his spirit was dwelling within that body the same way that ours is now the other part of the question so we believe that Jesus Christ as we know him today calling him Jesus Christ was a eternal being we've discussed this in different ways on this show before like the captain of the Lord's army and we talked about let us make man our own image before what those passages in Genesis. He was an eternal being, the word it's often called, and so forth. And you see references then to this son of God. Now then, he became a human being, not just a human, but human being at his incarnation or his birth. Either the incarnation before his birth or at his birth, he became human, partaker in flesh and blood. There's no something said that he, that power has cha- that that has changed, and then the question is was asked also. Do you it says do you believe that Jesus has always existed or was created later or became divine after his resurrection? So now the Jehovah's Witnesses take the position among other groups that that Jesus was a created being. He was like one of the angels that. The one we call the Father, there is God, only God, and He created this powerful being uh, that we now know of as Jesus, and that this powerful being is His Son in that sense. He's not really God as such; He's the Son of God, not really God, and therefore He uh, is a created being. I believe that's the that's probably from the standpoint of religious sociology or doctrinal basis that's the reason many many people consider the jehovah's witnesses into and the same way the mormons to be a cult not orthodox christianity because they take an unorthodox position that jesus was a created being which is a major thing i mean it is a major doctrinal belief well say it's only one thing well that's a major one okay yeah Uh, if you want to say that that jesus was a created being 
And so um, that's the difference in why many people have such a, a hard uh, attitude about Jehovah's Witnesses is because of that. They, we want to focus on, well, they don't believe in blood transfusions, all that kind of stuff. Those are minor issues compared to the fact that they believe that Jesus was a created being. The Mormons actually believe that, you know, Adam and we're all going to become God. And so they have a completely unorthodox view of Jesus and God. Also, the Mormon church does. And uh, but the question says, did he become did he believe he always existed or become divine after his resurrection? I believe the scriptures teach that. And here here are a couple of things that uh, Gary, you and I were talking on the way over here about. People Funny want, about that. Pe- people wanting to make check off a checkbox, make certain yeah. statements, and then do a checkbox on Bible doctrine. The Bible seems to indicate that in the fullest in the fullest sense of the word. Now listen to what I'm saying. In the fullest sense of the word, Jesus became the Son of God at His resurrection. Does the Bible refer to Him as the Son of God before that time? He even he makes does. A, well, he even makes a claim himself before that. In Luke yes. chapter 22, verse about, I'll start at about verse uh, 60, uh, 66. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people and both chief priests and scribes came together and led him into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe, and if also you ask, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Therefore, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. And they said, and they all said, are you then the son of God? And he said to them, you rightly say that I am. Yes, he is. Now, here's the problem with that. As taken just by itself and not continued on, because it says that, um, hang on, my computer, I clicked the wrong button. Um, It says that, First, Romans chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his prophets in the Holy Spirit, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection of the dead. So here is the de- declaration with power that he's the son of God which is the resurrection of the dead. There's a similar reference uh, in, the book of, uh, in the book of Hebrews. Uh, see if I can find that reference here for you. I thought I had it pulled up here. Uh, I didn't have it pulled up. Why well, while you're looking up for there? that, basically that depends on the definition of the word declared. If you really will look up declared, it means pointed out. It doesn't mean made or changed to. It's pointed out, and I think that's what this scripture has indicated. He was pointed out to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, right. and, that, and that's in agreement so, with the Luke twenty. So, th- so there is a sense in which, well, he was pointed to. Right. You know, I, I I go back to some of my own experiences. Uh, some of you probably have never heard of a gentleman by the name of Kelly Johnson. He was a relatively famous designer of aircraft. He designed the Lockheed P-38, and a lot of other things that went on, among them the SR-71. And I actually saw him one time when I was when I was at uh, the Lockheed Skunk Works and doing some work with Lockheed. And I didn't know who he was. And a gentleman said, pointed to him, says, that's Kelly Johnson. Well, that didn't change his character of Kelly Johnson. It just made me aware that this is Kelly Johnson. And I think that's what this passage is doing here when he says, and declared to be. So there, there's there's some idea. Without the resurrection of the dead, he would not be the son of God. I think I that's what the passage th- is saying. I don't saying. think you can make that statement. Yeah. I'll just be honest. I don't think you can make that statement basically based on Luke 22. Either that or he lied in Luke 22. Okay. The, the, I, here's the point I'm trying to make. In the fullest sense of the word, he was not the son of God until he was raised from the dead, for our salvation. But, now there are other the other senses in which he's the son of God. Yes, by nature, by by his own essence, by who he says he was. All this was pointing to the fact that in history he would be declared, pointed out, made full, complete, the son of God, with power by the resurrection of the dead. 
But you have to add the definition of something that's not in declared. Okay. Pointed out. Okay. Well, declared means more than that. It means decreed. It means set. It means stated as such. So the, re the resurrection clearly states from God's vantage point, this is my son. Now, did he say that earlier? He did say he that at his that. baptism. Okay. But I mean, just said, Jesus, Jesus coming to the earth and being baptized would not have ever been the reason why he was even pointed out to be the Son of God. There would have been no reason for him to be the Son of God and even to show us that without all of the events of his life and most especially his resurrection. Well, because he would never have there been no reason for God to show us in the Old Testament. There was no reason for him to show us this son. Well, because it was all about this declaration of the resurrection. Basically, he's shown or pointed out to be because of this resurrection. We can read about that in the Colossian letter, because basically that's proof of the promise he's made to us. He's made us a promise that we will be raised from the dead through him and through our faith in him. And basically, this is proof of the promise. Exactly. Right. Um, there's another passage, and I can't put my finger on it right now. I don't know why I can't, but I think it's in Hebrews. Uh, uh, it's in Hebrews like 13, but I'd have to look it up. I can't seem to find it here. Hang on. Maybe I can find it now. Um, F, 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 one. Um, That isn't exactly it. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying to find this other verse here. Uh, I'll look it up in a minute. The the part of the text here uh, from John, and uh, John may not like my response about this, but um, he, he says that the, the Nicene Creed, this is what the Council of Nicaea had to decide in 325. Short answer on that, and we'll talk a bit more about it, but let me give you the short answer. Gary and I are not going to base our teaching to you or our belief in what is true on, these on the Nicene Creed. Even if, the, even if I say to you, well, I think the Nicene Creed was probably correct, uh, I'm not going to set forth to the people, Port St. Louis, whoever is listening, and say this is why you should believe this because the Council of Nicaea said such. And that the premise of the show is that we – are going to only go not by traditions or councils and so forth. So I guess what it, here's, the, here's the Nicene Creed. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from light, uh, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made for us and for our salvation. He came from heaven, was incarnate in the Holy Spirit, of the Holy Spirit and of the Virgin Mary, became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures, ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. Okay, I don't have a, a lot I could disagree with in that statement, particularly from what I understand the scriptures to say. But those are not the words that I am going to use to teach something because I think the issue is probably a little even a little more complex than that is as far as what the scriptures say about about this matter. And so, you know, we have to stick with what the scriptures say about it. And they're not always going to be phrased in some way that we would like them to be phrased about any of these matters. OK, they just aren't going to be phrase that way the for example uh, he says he's in hebrews 1 this isn't the verse i'm looking for but that christ that he spoke unto us god spoke unto us in these last days by his son who's appointed heir of all things through whom he also made the worlds who being the brightness of so this passage says that god made the world through jesus christ john 1 says christ made the world and without him nothing was made that was made are those two statements contradictory? Um, no, no, they're not. They're both reflecting the same thing. And it says that he is the a brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Now, those words are meant to convey, even the original Greek words, exactitude of nature, of the sameness of nature and, and substance. So 
whatever it takes to be God, Jesus Christ has that from eternal existence. That's the meaning of that passage. Whatever you, whatever in truth is the essence of being God, Jesus Christ has that from eternity. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. When he himself had purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So now you have a differentiation. He's sitting down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He is not the majesty on high because he's sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. So now you begin to see this differentiation between father and son that was there in eternity, perhaps, but not seen or understood because there was no need for that because man didn't need to be saved. So for which of the angels did he say at any time, you are my son, today have I begotten you? And again, I will be to him a father, and you will be to me a son, and so forth. So um, here he's saying that he didn't do any of these things for any of the angels, but he only did them for Christ, for, for Jesus Christ. Hang on. Uh, let me. Let, I think I just real, kind of half remembered uh, what verse I'm looking for. Because I think it's a little bit different than the Romans, Roman ones. All right, Hebrews um, five five is maybe the verse I'm looking for. Hebrews five. So Christ also did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, "You are my son. Today I have begotten you." He also says to an, in another place, "You are a priest forever." according to the order of Melchizedek. This isn't the verse I'm looking for either, but I'll find it here in a minute. I just can't quite think of the the, uh, the exact words, but it's much clearer about this business of the resurrection, uh, having a, a, it being a very significant part of his declaration or his even being the fullness of the Son of God. I mean, okay, is it, the question, for example, would be when Christ was an embryo in Mary's womb, is he the Son of God? yes. But that's not in any way the same as his fullness as, as the Son of God after his resurrection. Well, okay. we as human beings face the same sort of thing not on a much, same reduced, much reduced scale. Uh, I'm not what I was when I was 14 years old. I'm something different now. Right. Uh, I'm probably more educated, maybe not any smarter, but at least more educated. Um these things, does that make me different? Does that make me, you know, all things, you know, basically, Mike, all things grow, flower, and then die. And, and that's what I see within the things here on earth. Jesus, as a person, as a man, probably suffered the same thing. He grew up. He grew, grew older. In this case, he was crucified and killed. Uh, he was resurrected, but then when we begin to look at what God does for us, the, the, the importance of the resurrection cannot be overemphasized. That's, that's my message. You cannot overemphasize the importance of the resurrection. Did that make changes that we can perceive? It's difficult for me to see in the scriptures when he makes that claim, either that or should he have made a basically a modified claim or some other wording that was used. Um, but I, I'm, I'm really more, more of the idea that these passages in, in the Corinthian letter are the real importance to us. It, when well, he see, says it's, it's a question of, it's a question sometimes of what we're, what stage of this are we looking at? And that's the problem with framing a question, questions a certain way and demanding a checkbox answer with them because they don't take into account. The, the fullness of all of these things. Until Christ was crucified on the cross, it didn't matter one bit to us that he was the Son of God. In fact, I don't even know, except with, in reference to man, except in reference to man's salvation, I'd have to think about this more carefully, but I don't think he's even called the Son of God, except in reference to man's salvation. Because there's no need for him to be the son of God unless it's in reference to man's salvation. And so and so you can say he was in Mary's womb as an embryo, and that's the beginning point of this of his sonship, as it were. I think his sonship had to do with his incarnation. That's what a point I'm trying to make. Sonship had to do with incarnation. 
son of man, son of God. And without the resurrection at the end, the incarnation is basically nothing. Doesn't mean anything to us. Well, and that's the declaration of the whole thing is this and, resurrection. And I go back so, to First Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 12. I would like all of our listeners to read verse 12 through about verse 19. That is the importance of the resurrection. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if indeed right. the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. And if, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. That's the importance of the resurrection. Right, right. And, and it's just the it's the culmination of all those things. And so we can talk about things from the standpoint of them being thought of in prophecy, them being thought of as, as in the inception, the beginning, or we can see the culmination of all of those things. And so uh, that's why the question immediately about Jesus, you're sometimes sometimes you're using language. I think did we talk about this on the air, which is something you and I were talking about, Gary, about the idea of historical language. You can talk about um, that's what we were talking about this pr- morning. President oh, Reagan, pr- President Reagan was born in Eureka, Illinois. You can make that statement. Is that true? Well, it depends on what you're trying to say. Pr- he was when he was born in Eureka, Illinois. He was not President Reagan. He was a boy called Ronald Reagan. Okay, he was not president. But now the time has gone by, and we're on the other end of that. We make a statement: he, President Reagan was born in Eureka, Illinois, and so that makes sense. It's a historical reference, historical tense. We're using the historical sense to say he was born then, and and mixing up the 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 reference since it's in the past of the being president thing. And the same thing I think is true with Son of God and all the some of the other titles of Christ. We see him called the Word before this right. time. So when you ask me, when did Jesus come into existence, I'm going to surprise everybody and say, most likely in my understanding, he became into existence when he was born out of Mary's womb, and then the angel named him Jesus. The angel said, call his name Jesus. Or when, when, or he's, when Mary and Joseph when named him Jesus. Well, Yes, but the angel said, they said, what are you going to call? What should, what, he told him his name is Jesus. So now then, Joe, that's when he became Jesus. And you're saying Mary and Joseph called him Jesus. That's fine. D- is that the beginning of the story? No, that's not the beginning of the story. And that's not to say that he did not exist before that time as the only begotten of the Father. Now then you go the other direction. You see it, the same thing is true the other direction about him being declared to be the Son of God or being the only begotten of the Father. This day, when it says, this day have I begotten you, what day are you talking about? It's talking about the resurrection. Okay, That's this day have I begotten you. And so there's a sense in which that is true. Does it negate the idea that he was eternally the Son of God as such? No. But the, that's the and that's the problem with I guess what I'm trying to say, that's the problem with man-made creeds, Gary, is they try to check off the boxes instead of coming and telling you what the truth of the matter is. This this issue of the nature of God, uh, as people say, three persons in one, or whatever they, this doctrine of the Trinity, or not the Trinity, whichever way you want to go with the doctrine, which is a huge issue has been debated over and over and i think some of the debate has to do with language just like this it isn't a real debate and yet some of it is it's kind of what i've said in in the class uh we don't understand the all the differences in the nature between the three that are spoken of that we call the father the son and the holy spirit i don't think there's anybody on earth that fully understands in truth what those distinctions Mm -hmm. are i don't either Mm -hmm. And so what's the point 
the point is that's a matter of our faith. God said this is the way it is, and there are some things he gives to us that we just need to accept. That's what he expects of us. Right. And so all we do is confuse ourselves and play into Satan's hands a lot of times when we start, uh, you know, parsing out these words in, in, in those those things. I, I, I just keep going back to the fact that, okay, Jesus said this is this is true. I'm going to accept that fact. Right. Uh, and now if I'm going to make something else of it, maybe scriptures hint at something else, but do I understand completely all the ramifications of that? No, keep going back to the scripture. That's what yeah, I keep yeah. telling. Now, now here's, I was wrong about where my verse was that I was thinking. It wasn't Hebrews, it's Acts 13. And here Paul says in Acts 13 about verse, uh, let's start with verse 32. Acts 13, 32. And we declare unto you glad tidings. How that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same to us, their children, in the end that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now I don't want to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. So here, Paul directly links this day have I begotten thee with the resurrection. Once again, it's not a cut-off event. It's the culmination of all the promises that the Father was making. All those promises in the Old Testament were leading up not to Christ's incarnation per se, but to his resurrection. And, and that's why in this case, he applies the psalm, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. He applies it directly to the resurrection may be more indirectly applied there in some other places. So it's not a, it's not either or. I hate to be so liberal, but it's a both and, you know, in some cases you just have that in this in this situation. So that's Acts 13, 33. You got to put that right up against uh, Hebrews 1, 5 and Romans 1. You got to put those together. To get a full picture of a progression in this case, I think this, Gary, I think this is part of the mistake that's made to bring up something. And we've got another text we're going to answer in just a second. But uh, I think this is part of the mistake that's made um, sometimes by well-meaning people in the matter of salvation. Uh, we talk about salvation by faith and they say, oh, no, it's by faith alone. We're, and they would deny that baptism plays a role in this. What, what, I, what we're saying and teaching and what we think the Bible teaches clearly, that, f that faith is the fundamental part of the process, but without baptism, that process is never completed. It's never full. And so they, they're leaving out the fact that, th that salvation is a process that begins with faith and ends with, ba ends with baptism, and James at least initial two, salvation. Well, the, the, the thing is, James 2 says that explicitly. We're looking at mm -hmm. passages that don't explicitly say right, that. Right, it's not always divided out so much. Right. James it? 2 says that specifically when it says, by works, faith is made complete. There you go. Exactly. And so, that, and that's the point I would make about this business of the Son of God and so forth. And, and, and that's why I was uh, kind of smiling when I read the word Jesus there. And although our texture corrected it, you know, I didn't correct it, but I mean, he clarified it. He, he, you know, the word and whatever the case may be. Now you can, this is the whole problem. Um, the question is asked the same way. Can a believer fall from sin so as to fall from grace? Well, I don't think in one sense of using the word believer that if you're a believer, you never fall from grace because you continue to believe and therefore you do what God says. But we the have, question let's, is, let's, can let's, a believer become an unbeliever? That's the question. Yes, okay. but because that's what people don't realize is basically God equates belief and obedience. Right. So we're asking the wrong question. As long as you continue in obedience, you cannot be lost. Right. And that's what belief is. But the minute, see, the thing is, you say, well, I believe, but he didn't obey. How does God look at that? God looks at that is when yeah. you stopped obeying, you stopped, you stopped believing. believing. Now, my point with that, I'll re-clarify the question. The question then is, can a believer become an unbeliever? And the scriptures say, yes, yeah, Jesus says yes in Luke 8. 13, he says that there are those who for a while believe 
and then in time of temptation, fall away. So a believer can become an unbeliever, and when he becomes an unbeliever, he can fall away. That's the question that's before us. And so language makes a big difference. Now then, let me go back to some of these texts we're getting here. By the way, if you want to call into the show, you can reach We Are Just Christians at 772, see if I get it right this time, 772-340-1590. Oh, we do have a caller. I did not see this. I am very sorry, Jerry. Uh, I didn't see you uh, that you had called in. Uh, Jerry, are you there? Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, it's a really interesting show today. I was wondering about, uh, I heard on NPR, uh, National Public Radio, that uh, 300 uh, Russian Orthodox, uh, Orthodox priests are speaking up uh, against Putin. And uh, I've seen the Greek Orthodox Church in uh, Port St. Lucie, a really beautiful building. Well, uh, I, again, I, I wanted to know, and I may have asked your question before, uh, Russian Orthodox and Greek Orthodox, are they branches of the Catholic Church? And uh, But I understand that these priests are putting their life in danger on this. 300 of them uh, are, are speaking up against Putin. And uh, if you could just clear that up, uh, if there were branches of the Catholic Church, both the Greek Orthodox and Russian Orthodox, and I'd like to listen off our mic. That's great, Jerry. Thanks for the good question. We appreciate it. Yeah, there is. Uh, <laughs> well, I hate to get get everybody in trouble here, but it depends on who you ask about the question. Are they branches of the Catholic Church? Uh, the Russian Orthodox, Greek Orthodox would say, no, the Catholic Church is a apostate branch of uh, our church. If you ask a Catholic pope, the pope, the pope he'll say, <laughs> yeah, their branch is off of the one true church, the Catholic Church, and so forth. Uh, there is, uh, historically, I think the, the Russian Orthodox and the Greek Orthodox churches are very related. And by Orthodox, let's just go back there. Orthodox uh, means straight teaching. I think I even I think I even used this uh, word previously in the show. Orthodox. I like Jehovah's Witnesses. Ortho means straight in Greek, and dox is doctrine or teaching. So something that's orthodox is considered to be straight teaching or right teaching would be the idea. We have we have orthodontists. Danta meaning tooth, and so in Greek. Uh, or in our language, orthodontist, someone who gives you straight teeth, orthopedic. The PED part is feet, and so orthopedic surgeons uh, to give you straight or righteous feet, as it were. So orthodox is straight teaching. So someone like Jehovah's Witnesses are not generally, this is, I'm trying to give you uh, definitionally, I'm not trying to, uh, I'm not trying to take a position particularly, though I have one on this, I'm just trying to straight give you the definitions something like the jehovah's Witness position on jesus being a creative being is unorthodox it isn't according to straight teaching now gary and i are going to come from the position the only thing that's orthodox is what the bible says not what the nicene creed right. says not what the pope says not what a council says not what a synod says not what the head of the russian orthodox church says it is but orthodox teaching in truth is teaching that straight and righteous according to the Bible, or right that, according that, to the that, Bible. And that is scripture only. Right. Now then we can use, that's right. Now we can use the word orthodox saying, is that orthodox? The, the current pope, I think I'm pretty safe to say, does not take orthodox positions with regard to several issues in Catholic teaching. And I think you would find a huge number, percentage of Roman Catholic clergy and even high clergy who would agree with my statement that he is taking unorthodox positions on many issues, meaning they are not according to the teaching of the church as it's gone on in the past. I don't think that they, either one of them care what the Bible say about the issues that they're there. Neither the, neither the Catholic priests who are against the Pope nor the ones in favor of the Pope are concerned too much with what the Bible says about it because they tend to view the Church's teaching is, you know, only partly. What I, they what view I, that the Bible is only part of the equation of how do you get correct teaching. And basically, that's not just a characteristic of the Catholic Church or the 
Eastern Orthodox or whatever church you're looking at. It's a characteristic of all of the denominations. They apparently don't seem to care very much about what Scripture says unless it reinforces their views. Right. That that's the only point at which you're going to find them caring very much about what the scripture says. Now, and it, it, that's right. And and now looking at and that's exactly right. Now, looking at this, the the comp, the the organizational structures of man-made denominations like the Russian Orthodox Church or even the Greek Orthodox Church are are in are, are in the case we're looking at here. The basically the uh, Ukrainian Orthodox Church has separated itself from the Russian Orthodox Church. Right. Now, all of those are related to the Greek Orthodox Church. See, here's the thing. Coming, coming out historically, and I keep having to go backwards and backwards and backwards here, Gary, but let's just go back. Let me just go all the way back. Maybe, maybe this will help Jerry. In the book of Acts, in the New Testament, there was only one church. Jesus Christ said, I will build my, my church, church in Matthew. Singular. Singular. My church. His church. Now then, there was one church. There were no differing denominations in New Testament times, which is the reason this show is about being just a Christian and not part of these man-made denominations. Because in New Testament times, there were no differing denominations. And I don't think you'll find a Bible student or scholar who disagrees with that statement at all. They might, they will defend their own denomination historically. And they'll go back close to New Testament times. They can go back in the four or five hundreds to find their denomination, maybe the six hundreds for the Roman Catholic Church. But they will not dispute that in New Testament times there was one church and no denominations. Paul warned, though, in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 and so, in speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus, all these elders were under the headship of Jesus Christ. Peter himself said in 1 Peter 5, that he was an elder appointed, as it were, by the Holy Spirit for the flock that was among him. And he told the people there, that well, the ones who were elders, they were to be shepherds of the flock among them locally, not over the whole diocese or a whole region or a whole country or the whole world. They were to be elders among the disciples there. He told those churches to follow Christ. There were no other organizations. But Paul met the elders at Ephesus from Ephesus at Miletus in Acts 20, and he warned them that after his death, there would come in grievous wolves into the church to draw away disciples after themselves, not sparing the flock, and that they would lead a falling away, as it were. They would fall away from the faith. They would begin to teach other doctrines. He said, he said in First Timothy, uh, in Second Timothy 3, let me get it right, First Timothy 4 and also in Second Timothy, he said that, that these uh, People will begin to speak damnable heresies, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God had said you could receive. And they would draw these disciples away. And he warned them about these wolves who would come in and not spare the flock. So this is the history of the church that Paul predicted. People want to talk about his church history. Paul predicted there would be a falling away from the original pure order of Christ being the chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5, and all the churches serving under him independently with their own local shepherds, there'd be a falling away from that order. And these elders in the church would draw away their own disciples and so forth. So at the end of the New Testament period of time, and then on into the second and third centuries, you have the development of five powerful churches that we know of. There was Jerusalem, there was the church at Antioch that where Paul and Barnabas worked from in, in uh, north of Jerusalem. Uh, there was Alexandria in Egypt. There was Constantinople in Turkey. And then you have uh, uh, Ephesus became a central church for a long time. Now, over time, historically, not biblically, what Paul predicted came true that these certain men began to accrue power, both religious and political. They began to consolidate that power, lead churches astray. And that's why you had to have these councils. 
because men were teaching all these different things, and these powerful men were doing so. They contradicted one another. Rather than going back to what the scriptures wrote, they contradicted each other. And finally, using the political powers of how humans do, you had the church at Constantinople and the church at Rome became dominant. And from the church at Rome, you get the Roman Catholic Church, which became the most dominant for a few centuries. And then in 1054, you had a split, and the church at Constantinople became the Greek Orthodox Church, or just the Orthodox Church, in 1054. Now, from there, you get the Russian Orthodox, which is a kind of a branch of the the Eastern Orthodox Church. Eastern Orthodox refers to Constantinople and those to the east and Russia and all that. And then the Western Catholic Church, Western Orthodox Church, became known as the Roman Church. They took on the title Catholic, which means universal. So they assumed the the title that they were the only true church, and they made that into their name, Catholic, which means universal in Latin. So they became the Roman Catholic Church. None of that is found in the Bible as a system of how things should be done. So you had this schism, the great schism it's called in religious history, between the Eastern Orthodox or the Greek Orthodox Church and its branches, like the Russian Orthodox Church, I believe, is one of those. And uh, then you have the, like you say, the Ukrainian Orthodox, you have all the, they all are similar. I point out the Ukrainian thing because that sort of thing is still going on today. That's a relatively recent event right. in the Ukrainian church, and it was not done for any scriptural reasons. It was purely political. Right. So you see what motivates these changes is not scripture and is not what God desires. And basically, it's, it's what you and I have been going back to. Is, well, is go, go back to the scripture. We may disagree from time to time about specifics within the scripture, but we're both looking for what God says. See, there's a, they are all ruled by these patriarchs, these Orthodox churches. They call them popes in Rome. They call them patriarchs in these Orthodox the churches. churches. And, and there is not only a Russian Orthodox church, Gary, I'm re- reading right here, I'm looking at it, but there's a R-O-C-O-R, the Russian Orthodox Church outside Russia, which is headquartered in the United States and doesn't recognize the authority of the Russian patriarch. And then there's all of these Belarus and Latvia and Georgia and all the Soviet republics have their own orthodox groups and so forth. And um, they come under the, stra- under the authority of the Moscow patriarch. Many of them do. Now, the, the point I would make for you, Jerry, is, yes, if you can read about it. And you'll, if from someone outside of the, Roman or- the Ru- Russian Orthodox Church or the Ru- Greek Orthodox Church or even the Roman Catholic Church, if – you're a good old Southern Baptist or a Pentecostal, uh, many of you are listening to me this morning, you would say those are all the same. They would all look the same to you from the outside. Their their dress, their titles, the worship services, all of them are going to be very similar to one another. There are differences in minor details. They are different, but they're minor. Yes. In in the big picture, they're minor. Now, I'm not trying to say something slanderous there. I think from the outside, this is what I'm saying. They do look the same. Now, within, they would all say, no, we're very different from each other. Now, and that's perhaps true. I think there's one thing that we should say. They, they all look the same, and they're not different, but they are significantly different from what Scripture says. Yes, because they have, they've, be, they've been basing their teachings, their orthodoxy, if I'm putting it in quotes, you can't see the air quotes. They're basing their orthodoxy not on what the Scripture says, but on what the patriarchs have said. And the councils have said, both in the Roman church and in the Greek church, they have these two sets of men and the councils of men who determine what the true orthodoxy is, and it changes down through time. I'll give the Greek Orthodox Church a little credit in that since they understand Greek, they know that the word solo does not mean play on an instrument or uh, on just a musical instrument. They know what singing is, and they don't use instrumental music in most of these Greek Orthodox churches, at least they didn't used to, because of their understanding of the Greek language. Which we would agree with. Which we agree with, because that's what the Greek language says. They understand baptism is dipping, although they don't always practice that too. So in any any event, you can read the history of all these things. I want to point 
the caller and the rest of you to think about going back to Paul's attitude about these human changes and these councils as found in Acts chapter 20, beginning by verse 22, 24, 28, right in there. You'll see a whole context. And in, in, and in 1 Timothy 4, you'll also see this context of men drifting away from the truth. And you'll see Peter in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 calling himself not a pope, not a patriarch, but simply a fellow elder. Literally, the word is a fellow elder with these other elders in the church. Now, he was an apostle also, but as far as church governance, he was a fellow elder with these other elders and told them to exercise oversight of the flock that was among them, not around the world, and so forth. And so you see a difference in how the scriptures speak of religious history, calling for a great falling away from the faith, as opposed to how it's taught in denominations that all of these churches developed naturally. We should, we should respect all of that, and this is all the way God intended for it to be. In the Catholic Church, they call this the doctrine of development. It's called apostasy in the New Testament, or falling away. And that's what Gary and I, that's what, that's what this show is about in many ways. It's about going back to that original pattern for how we should conduct ourselves in the church here at Savona Boulevard, and also in our thinking in general about the Christian religion, going back to the first century, not to all of this intervening, quote-unquote, orthodoxy in between. So I understand and I can accept the fact that to many of you that seems ignorant and backwards and archaic and so forth, but I'm going to take, I'm willing to stand on the attitude of the Apostle Paul about these changes, that these changes were brought about by wolves who entered into the flock and drew away disciples after themselves and not after the Lord Jesus Christ. I think that's a viewpoint of history that we ought to consider. Well, let's go back to something that I usually talk about at the beginning of each show, but I just can't keep my mouth shut about this at the end of the show. John 12, verse 48. He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. We are going to be judged in the last day by the words that Jesus spoke, either through his apostles, through the Spirit, or in his gospel messages while he was alive on this earth. The words that he spoke will judge us in the last day, not what some church patriarch says, or what some pope says, or what some, quote, reverend, unquote, says right. in the Reformed churches. Right. It's Jesus's words that matter, nothing else. Now, you're going to love this. We just got a text, Gary, I, and that's exactly right, that Gary, you need a bumper sticker with that on it. Maybe <laughs> we should sell some bumper stickers. stickers like we can make money, couldn't we? Isn't that, what this, isn't that what the church is all about, making a little extra money? <laughs> I read these churches, I, I, even Churches of Christ, I read their advertisements. They're having all these pancake breakfasts and garage sales and all that. I'm thinking, so where in the scripture do I go to find churches funding their work by selling pancakes and, or, and bumper stickers. Sales or bumper stickers or whatever else the case may be. I just can't well, you find and I, it. You and I could make some money that way, and then we can give it to the church. But That'd basically. be fine if I want to do that. Yeah. And there are people that say, well, the church can do whatever the individual can do, so we can we can start our own business. Huh? All right. Anyway, that's a whole other subject there. Our time is just about gone, Gary. Uh, wrap some of this up. We've got about 30 seconds. I, I, I just wrap want to leave everybody with that idea. Go to your Bibles Look at John 12:48. Highlight it with a yellow highlight it. Underline it. Do something with it because that's one of the most important passages that you're going to read relative to scripture. Right. Well, I'm going to have to go back and listen to Jerry's full question because I don't think we really covered uh, all of that question at, at all this morning. He had a, a much broader question about the the Greek Orthodox Church and so forth. And I'll go back and listen, Jerry. Maybe yep. I can come up with a little better answer. For next week, but we appreciate it very much. Everyone participating today, kind of all over the place, and that's the kind of show I like. Well, I hope you'll take a look at our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. You'll find these recordings of these shows, plus lots of other recordings. We hope that you'll 
not take a look at the website, but come and visit us. We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. Glad to have you come and be with us at 10 and 11 today, 730 on Wednesday night. Thank you very much, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie on WPSL. Port St. Lucie.